I'm so excited to share a message with you this morning called In His Grip. I'm so, so excited for the privilege to, to be here and just share with you. My wife and I, we, uh, we prepare together sometimes, so it's actually like our privilege. Um, but yeah, um, did you know that you are important to God? Did you know that He loves you? and that he'll never let you down. By faith, you're in his grip. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are placed firmly in his grip. Because of his love for us, he pursued us, rescued us, and called us to fulfill a specific purpose so that others will experience his love too. All in all, we have been invited to rest in his finished work so that we can pursue the good works that we are called to do, to show the world that God loves us. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the definition of grip is a tenacious hold, typically giving control, mastery, or understanding. Being in His grip is all about living in His grace. This means surrendering control, mastery, and understanding to Jesus. And this comes by simply putting your faith in Him. You're important to God. He loves you. He'll never let you down. And by faith, you're in His grip. Turn with me to Isaiah 41 and verse 13. If you're using your phone, you can just scroll over to Isaiah 41, verse 13. It says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand, or grip your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that by your grace, you are helping us to pursue that which you called us for. Thank you, Jesus, that you have prepared good works for us. And as we get into your word this morning, open our eyes, open our ears, that we would see and hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I am a Zimbabwean, born, bred in Zim, and uh, I have two parents and three brothers. For those of you that don't believe me, I've, I've got a picture to show you, to prove. All right. That's us uh, a couple of years ago, but about 30 years ago, we kind of looked like this. That was us. <laughs> That was, uh, I think that was like Father's Day, 1988, and you can see like, I don't know what it is, but pictures from the 80s just look rough, eh? It just looks hectic. But we turned out all right, that's me on my dad's lap, and I don't know why we're all irritated, but it was either before lunch, and my mom forced us to have a picture, you know, the boys, or it was after lunch, and we all just wanted to sleep or something. But anyway, that's my family, born and bred in Zim, and uh, when my dad left corporate, in the early 90s, 
he basically just went full-on entrepreneurial. He just like went headfirst into entrepreneurship. And he would start businesses like every, every year, guaranteed, you're starting a business. So you name it, my dad did it. Um, I remember we had a hair salon, full-on, like the real deal, 25 hairdressers, three barbers. And you know the nice thing about your parents having a business is like you get free stuff, right? So we used to get free jerry curls. It was like grease everywhere. Um, we used to get that uh, free haircuts and everything. After that, I remember my dad had a car hire business. And that meant that we had cars everywhere in our front yard, just cars. Now, you're probably thinking like, oh, these guys are super rich, the luxury cars. No, it was like having a million picantos in your front yard. After that, um, it was the dried fruits business. Now that, like, just took the game to another level. We had raisins everywhere. I remember going to boarding school, and all my friends would get, like, really nice tuck, you know, and there would be, like, imported sweets and this and that. And we would have a packet of sweets and raisins for days. Um, I think that's probably why I don't like fruitcake, actually, because... It's like raisins, 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 raisins. After that, um, it, was, it was jam and peanut butter. My dad had a, had a jam and peanut butter business that supplied like wholesale. So you knew if you're going for break or lunch or whatever, your sandwiches are going to have dad's peanut butter or dad's jam, whether you like it or not. Um, so that was, that was pretty awesome. And then, you know, soon after that, you know, my, my brother and I pretty much kind of got bitten by the entrepreneurship bug. And, and we just had this passion for business, man. We just wanted to sell anything. I remember selling secondhand clothes in the salon. I remember, um, I remember my brother selling secondhand tires, retreads, retreads will sell. Um, we got into... We got into SIM cards. We used to sell SIM cards. Um, and we, did, we went all out, man. We just loved it. We loved it. I've got a picture of my brother as well. That's my brother. Um, and basically, my parents had two kids twice, right? So in the 70s, they had their first two kids. And then there was like a big gap. And then it's my brother and I. So we're very close. I mean, as brothers, we're, we're close. But my brother James and I, we're really close. And I often say to him, you do know that you weren't planned, right? It's not possible that mom and dad could have two kids and then wait like eight years and all of a sudden, yeah, let's have another one. No, 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 you weren't planned. And then he says to me, well, you do know that you're only here to keep me company, right? So, so yeah, my brother and I, we're really close and we have a passion for business. We're entrepreneurs and we love to just explore new ideas and new things. And... Um, our next hustle, next level hustle after the SIM cards was the stock market. Partially influenced by my dad, but we, we got into financial markets and we just loved it to bits. And uh, that's when I decided, you know what, I want to be a stockbroker. So after high school, I, I studied banking. And um, before I finished a college, I started a, a little investment advisory firm, and I uh, would consult for just friends and family. It was a small little operation. Um, but then the economy in Zim just died, right? It was like an epic death. And I lost all the money, all the money gone. 
So I had to find a, a job, right? But because of the failed economy, I couldn't get a job as a stockbroker or work in treasury or anything like that. So I only managed to get a job as, as a bank teller. So you can imagine how like my pride took a massive knock. But um, yeah, I was a bank teller, and maybe the fortunate thing at that time was I was working in an area that was kind of like the equivalent of Santon. So it felt like I had a horrible job in a nice area. So it was kind of like win-win, you know, like win-lose, win-win, win-lose. So um, that was great, but only for about a year, and then I got transferred out to a little town, a farming town that was about two hours out of Harare, and that's, that's basically like going from Santon to Paris or something like that. I absolutely hated it. Absolutely hated it. I was lonely. I, um, I still had this dream inside of me to be a, a business person, to be someone that would, you know, pursue a dream with a, with a business and make a difference, but my circumstances didn't really look like that. If anything, I was just in a place where I, I just didn't really like my life. At that time, most of my friends were still back in Harare, so I would go back to Harare very often. Um, maybe every other weekend, I'd go and see my friends, like blah. And um, on one particular occasion, because of the general economic situation, things like transport was a mission you would have to like wait for one bus to come like every six, seven hours. And when that one bus came, there'll be like a million of you waiting to get onto that bus. And I remember waiting for this bus to come from Kariba. We're, we're all standing there. There's like a gazillion of us. I have my bag around my shoulder. And there was nothing like respect for the elderly, hey? And it, there it was all about getting on that bus. So... <laughs> So the bus came, and fortunately, it kind of stopped quite close to, to where I was. And I was like, it was like I was in a ruck, you know. Got onto that bus, and uh, I thought that, okay, now the bus is full. So there were people already sitting in the bus. Um, and I thought, okay, the bus is full. I find, I'm a standing passenger. I'm holding onto the rails. I think we're full now, and I just see people still coming on, still getting in, still getting in. I'm wondering, okay, guys, I think, you know, there must be some kind of regulatory sort of something about this, but okay. Bus is packed, packed, packed. I can't actually see anything in front of me because there's just people everywhere. So we get going. We get moving. And I'm thinking, thank God. Let me focus on the, on the positives. Thank God we're moving. But that was probably the problem because we were moving very fast. We were cruising. And then you're kind of thinking, okay, so Jesus, um, <clears throat> I don't feel very safe right now, but maybe the positive out of this is, you know, we're going to get home quickly. And that's a good thing, right? We're going to get home quickly. So as we're going, I think we've been going for about 30 minutes or so, there's this section in the road where we would go down into the valley, and then there's a bridge at the bottom, and then you go up again. But as you go down, the road curves like this, right? It's quite a sharp curve. So, we're going down this road, and then as we get to the curve, the road gets a little bit bumpy. And now I'm thinking, that's a bit odd. Road's a bit bumpy. Okay. Um, 
And then I'm thinking, okay, something is probably wrong. And the bumps in the road are getting quite hectic. And then I realize that leaves are coming in through the windows. And then it hit me. We're not on the road. <laughs> I, kinda had, I kind of had a Jehovah moment in that, at that point. You guys know what a Jehovah moment is, right? A Jehovah moment is when your prayers aren't to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, thank you, Father, Jesus. No, 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 you're praying to Jehovah because you need answers right now. So we're, we're in the bush now, and I remembered at that time, I remembered my mom telling me a story a few years back. She told me a story of our neighbor's wife who was in a bus accident, and what happened was the bus went off the road, hit a tree, and... There were very few survivors. Most of the people on that bus died. So now I'm thinking, Jehovah, we're going to hit a tree and I'm going to die. I'm not ready for that. Um, and I remember holding onto the rails. There were two rails on either side of me. I remember holding on. And I remember being in a desperate state, a desperate, desperate state, begging Jesus for my life. I remember being so desperate for him to save me. I cannot describe to you how it feels moments before you feel like your life is about to go. I was petrified. I was gripped with fear. What happened was we went down that valley, down, down towards the river, and we had impact in, a, in the dry river. There was no water in it. It was dry. We had impact against the bank of the river. And our impact was so hard that it ripped out the seats in the bus. And all the seats went flying forward. At that point, I, I lost my grip on whatever I was holding onto. And I just fell into the person in front of me. I thought I was going to die. I can't, I can't tell you how relieved I was to open my eyes and to see that, okay, I, I'm still breathing and, and I wasn't hurt at all. Not a scratch. I wasn't hurt at all. The fear that I had in my heart in that moment, I remember walking out of the bus shaking. I think I even peed in my pants. It wasn't full on. It was just like a bead. It wasn't, wasn't hectic. Um, I remember walking out of the bus. We had to actually walk out through the front windscreen. We couldn't walk out of the door. I remember walking out. Um, the, driver, the driver only had a little cut above his, his eyebrow. Um, I remember walking out, and I remember sitting on the bank of this river and just saying, Jesus, is this what has become of my life? How, how have I ended up here? All I, all I wanted was just to have a successful business, make a difference, and get to tell the world about your faithfulness. How did I end up in a dry riverbed wondering if I would still have my life or not? You know something about the faithfulness of God? When you have a dream, and it's in your gut, and you can feel it in your gut, God is faithful. He's working in your life. 
And as you're serving and as you're working for others, plowing the fields of another man, God is going to be faithful and just to do right by you. You know, that accident happened about 11 years ago, but it was only 10 years later after that accident that God blessed my wife and I with a business that we co-own and we employ nine people. We have two branches. And when you look back at your life and you see that, that's when you realize that that is the grace of God. God loves you. You're important to God. He'll never let you down. And by faith, you're in His grip. Looking back at my life over the last 10, 11 years and just that whole experience that I had, God has just been showing me how, you know, His plans and His purposes and the work that He's doing in, in your life are much bigger than your circumstances. That God is going to send people in your life that will build you up and encourage you and strengthen you and help you to do what He's called you to do. And that through the Holy Spirit, God will help you to mature as a person. That He's building your character. You don't see it now, but God is working. He's doing something in your life. We see this in the life of Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. All right, let me give it a little bit of context here. So basically, you guys remember Joseph, right? So Joseph was the governor of Egypt, and... Um, uh, Egypt was prosperous, and the nation of Israel basically grew in the nation of Egypt. And over hundreds of years, this nation of Egypt was, the nation of Israel within Egypt was very prosperous. They were very rich, but they also were very rich in numbers. So they basically had a massive population of people, and then they rose a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. So it's hundreds of years later, there was a pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and he was afraid of what the Jewish people could become. He was afraid that the Jewish people could just overthrow Egypt, take over. So he decided, you know, we have to actually control this population. And so he get, basically gives orders to murder the babies. He gives an order to midwives to kill babies, and um, long story short, uh, it turns out that it, it, it ends up developing that the, um, the, the babies would have to be thrown into the Nile. Uh, very hectic, very rough. Um, and that's where we pick up the story. Basically, there's mass genocide happening. And this is where we pick up the story. Exodus 2, verse 1 to 9. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, Moses. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. So basically she made a basket and, made it, and waterproofed it with tar. She put the child in it 
and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And as his sister, the baby's sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh, Moses' sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, This is now to Moses' mother, Take the child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. This is a crazy story. God chose Moses to fulfill a specific purpose that was all about his people, whom he loved, to set them free from slavery in Egypt. God chose Jesus to fulfill a specific purpose that was all about his people, whom he loves, to set them free from the slavery of sin. God has chosen you and I to fulfill a specific purpose that is all about his people, whom he loves, to share with them what Jesus has done and to set them free, especially from themselves. Okay, so what can we learn from this, from this text? What do we learn from uh, this experience that Moses had as a baby? Right? Number one, your purpose is bigger than your circumstances. What God has for you is bigger than what you're going through right now. God will allow you to experience certain things so that you can mature. God will protect you from a crocodile-infested river. You know when you think about the Nile, you think about it, when you read the story especially, you think about it like, like it's a stream because there's a baby in it. No, it's a massive river. God will protect you from a crocodile-infested river and genocide as you journey along your race. You're in his grip, just like the basket was to Moses. We need childlike faith in our absolute dependency on God, but that takes courage. It takes courage to believe God is who he says it is, says he is when you're going through challenges. When life is real, and you come to church and people say, just believe God. It's, it, it takes courage. It takes courage. And you know what happens because of our circumstances? We disqualify ourselves from what God has for us. 
we think because we don't earn enough money or because we're not educated enough or because everybody in your family is successful and you're not, that God can't really use you. We think that we're not good enough to be used by God. We think that maybe because we lost it with our children. We think that maybe because we lost it with our employees. We think that because we use bad language, God can't use us. We think that we have to fix ourselves first before we can come to God. Well, I've got news for you this morning. I want to tell you something for nothing this morning. You can never be good enough to be used by God apart from faith in Jesus. You can never be good enough. What you have to do is you have to put your faith in Jesus and then God can use you. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus basically took his goodness and he submitted it to the Father and he said, Father, judge my goodness and not their goodness because I know that their goodness is not acceptable. So rather judge mine. And then what the Father did is he poured out his judgment and his wrath on Jesus instead of you. And that is the grace of God. This means that when the Father sees you, he sees Jesus. Even though you're still on a journey of transformation into his likeness, he sees Jesus. That means that even though you don't look like Jesus right now, he sees Jesus. And he knows that the Holy Spirit is working a process of transformation in you into his likeness. In other words, God knows that you're a work in progress. He's not holding your sins against you. He has a plan for your life, and he wants to use you. He has a good plan for your life. Why? Because you're important to God. He loves you. He'll never let you down. By faith, you're in his grip. But like we said, when you're going through tough circumstances, it takes courage to believe that God is good. It takes courage to believe it. Turn with me to Joshua 1 and verse 9. Joshua 1 and verse 9. Let me give you a little bit of context to this text. So, Moses grows up and uh, he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. He parts the Red, God parts the Red Sea. They go through the, the, the Red Sea on dry land and then they go into the wilderness. And then they go around the wilderness for 40 years and it's like a roller coaster. If ever you've watched a hectic series, right, that is just like from one episode to the next, drama after drama, that's pretty much what happens with the children of Israel for about 40 years. And then, remember when God took the children out of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt, he had promised them a land that they would possess. So basically, after 40 years, these children, uh, or the people of Israel, are about to go into the promised land. But Moses has now died, right? He was old, he's died, and so he's not going with. 
And the second in charge is Joshua. And God is now speaking to Joshua about what he has to do. Because remember, he's about to go and take over this land on the other side of the Jordan River. And so this is what God says to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. And why was God telling him this? Because where he had to go, the land that he had to go and take, it had giants in it. It had very big people. And this is why God had to say to him, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's true for us today. That's true for us today. God is with us, even though it doesn't feel like it. God is with us. Number two, something that we learn from the story in Exodus chapter 2 uh, is friends. Friends. Picking up from verse 4, it says, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, Moses' sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Miriam watched her brother the entire time. And when time came, she stepped up on his behalf. Do you know that God is sending friends into your life to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you? And God is going to send friends to you that will step up on your behalf. God lives and God loves community. Did you know that God is a community? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is a community. God loves community. God doesn't want us to live alone. God doesn't want us to be lonely. And you know, some of us here feel that, you know, we're too shy to engage in community. And I'm going to be a little bit bold this morning and actually just say that you need to get over yourself. Go and join a connect group. Do community. We're all shy. We all come from dysfunctional families. Get into community. Do life with other people. It's better together. All the time, it's better together. You know, when I was seconded to that little town two hours out of Harare, I was super lonely. And I remember praying and saying, God, help me not to be lonely because I hate it. And you know what I have learned over the years? Is that God sends people into your life to remind you that He's with you. God sent a friend to me that became more than just a friend. He became a brother to me. And you know what His name is? 
like his actual name on his birth certificate. His name is Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Only now, 10 years later, when I look back and I see, God, you were with me the whole time. Even when I didn't feel like it, you sent people to me to strengthen me, to encourage me, to build me up, to lift me up, to remind me of the things that you've called me to do. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's continue to meet together, encouraging one another, stirring up one another to love and good works. Number three, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Verse 8 of that scripture in Exodus chapter 2 says, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Moses was raised by his mother in Pharaoh's palace. In the presence of his enemies, Moses was raised and became mature. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Before Jesus goes back to heaven, uh, his disciples are sad, and he says to them, Be of good cheer, don't be afraid, for I will send you another helper. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. And the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, causing us to become mature believers. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce fruit in us. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. You remember before when I was saying that we can never be good enough to serve, Jesus, to serve God apart from our faith in Jesus? Well, what makes us good enough is a process of transformation through our faith in Jesus. We cannot transform ourselves. We possess no real power to change ourselves. For sin is too deeply ingrained in us. The renewing energy must come from God. The change from within can only be successful only through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. No mere external change, such as correcting this or that bad habit, makes us Christians. The change has to come from a heart that is renewed 
by the Holy Spirit. This is the work of a lifetime, a work that will have its ups and downs, but a work that God promises to do in us if we surrender to him. Philippians 1 verse 6, And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. The purpose and the plans that God has for us are bigger than what we're going through. God is going to send friends to us to build us up and to strengthen us and to encourage us. And the Holy Spirit is working all the time, working, helping us to mature, helping us to mature until we look like Jesus. Why would God have a good plan for us? Why would God be so intentional and so involved in our lives? It's because we're important to God. He loves us. He'll never let us down. And by faith, we're in his grip. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we, as we close this morning. You know, when I was in that bus moments before impact, I had my arms stretched out and I had my bag around my shoulder. I remember begging Jesus to save my life. I remember being desperate to be saved, desperate to not die. And thinking about that moment, I'm just reminded about Jesus as he stretched out his arms on the cross with baggage all over his shoulders, the weight of the sins of the world stretched out in love for us. Jesus died so that we can live. Jesus was punished so that we don't have to, so that we can have a life with the Father, not just any ordinary life, but eternal life.